our eight-month-old, and Ellie, our soon-to-be five-year-old, uh, downstairs. Uh, well, if you would turn to Acts 6, I'm not going to dive right in, but just so you know where we're going. Paul, thank you for just such kind words in, in welcoming me. Uh, it has been a joy to to be a friend of the Buckleys these past six years, and I think Paul said what would be in my heart mutually as well, and, and that is that as a family of churches, we are we're first and foremost committed to the local church uh, and the difference local churches make uh, as God's plan for reaching this lost world that's desperately in need of the message of Jesus Christ. But in addition to a local church, we get to partner together and be a family and to enjoy friendship and relationship together. And uh, it really has been mutual uh, over the years. Uh, among many things that comes to mind when I think of Paul and Peggy, uh, I think of uh, <clears throat> a recent, uh, one of our more recent pastors and wives retreats together uh, where, where uh, Paul and Peggy could have been just kind of reconnecting with some of the other friends that we were out on that retreat with together. But as we were making our way back from an outing, they just took the time to sit down with Melissa and I and draw us out. And so, uh, really, we were the ones being cared for by Paul and Peggy. And that's what we enjoy uh, as a family of churches, uh, in addition to some of the things uh, Paul mentioned. I think you have a better projector than we do, by the way, at home. So, maybe we can talk later. Uh, but, you know, I was uh, actually with Bauer Evans, uh, where Dan Rocco comes from, Crossway Church. I know many of you are familiar with Bauer, who pastors... Uh, down in the Attleboro, Plainsville area. He was with me recently in Toronto uh, at one of our Sovereign Grace churches, uh, the only one in Toronto, uh, with Pastor Tim Kerr at a pastor's conference. And over that couple of days, we had many meals with different pastors in the Toronto area. And there was one thing that came up again and again and again. And that was their desire to have relationship with other churches with other pastors, that, that, that a pastor could talk to another pastor, that a pastor's wife could talk to another pastor's wife uh, and just receive that care from one another. And it was, again, another poignant reminder to me of how blessed we are to be a part. My wife and I, Paul and Peggy would say the same. Uh, the Rokas would say the same. Anyone within Sovereign Grace Ministries who's in pastoral ministry would say, what a gift it is to partner together. And I hope you feel that as a church, too, that it, it isn't just a pastoral thing but it's the whole church. And so for those of you who come to youth camp, welcome in advance. Uh, we hope you can make it and pray for the weather. Uh, it doesn't matter. We have a great time uh, either way. Uh, so it is just a joy to be with you this morning. And uh, I, I want to ask you, if I can, to pray for the Buckleys as they head out later on their family uh, vacation. Uh, would you pray for them? Would you pray that God would refresh them and Bless them. And any of you who have children of college age probably are aware far more than Melissa and I can yet be aware of. And that is how difficult it can be to actually get on the calendar a time where the whole family unit can be together. And they've managed to do that. So would you do that? Would you pray for just God's refreshing on them as they go? Uh, and I am looking forward to being served by Paul uh, once he gets back from vacation in early September. All the Pastors from the Northeast region are going to pull together for a couple of days uh, to spend together on a number of themes. But one of them is, uh, what does it really mean to be a shepherd of God's people? And uh, your pastor, Paul, is, is actually going to be sharing with us 
uh, pastors about that very thing as he brings to us uh, lessons from pastors from history. And uh, that's exactly what comes to mind among many things when I think of Paul is his shepherd's heart. Uh, that's a word that's, I think, gotten lost uh, in our day, uh, particularly as, as shepherding can tend to be thought of as, wait a minute, is that, is that invasive? Is that like, like someone's in my life kind of a thing? You know, where, whereas in history, the shepherd imagery has been so powerful uh, for the church. Uh, that, that's something that remains today. And I think that Paul does so well. And in fact, as much as Paul would tell me how John Mark was such an example to all of you in his final days, for those of you who, who are part of the church here, uh, John Mark and his passing uh, last month now, uh, while I know Paul and many of you would tell me the example that, that John Mark was to all of you, I, I would have liked personally, because I knew John, I would have liked to hear him describe for me how Paul was caring for him uh, in that time as well. Because I have no doubt so much of the faith and the grace and the hope, the certain hope that filled John's heart was in part, in part due to the influence, the example, and the teaching of Paul and how he prepared John for a time such as that. Uh, now that John is not here with us physically, I, I do have a confession to make. Uh, I've had some low-grade bitterness towards John for a number of years. Let me tell you why. Because he was praying about coming on our church plant. <laughs> but, believed God was calling him to go to a New England church plant. And then circumstantially, amen indeed. At the time, we were praying about planting in New England. Uh, and now that Paul is here, you all can see the wisdom in them not sending me to plant. But, John Mark was praying about that, and as we were praying about that, that struck up a friendship. And John and I actually spent a good deal of time together when Covenant Fellowship, the church that planted our church and, in part, King of Grace Church, John and I spent a lot of time together when Covenant transitioned into their building. Uh, he, and this won't surprise any of you who knew him, he took one of his weeks of vacation just to serve the church, to pack up the office and to move it to the new facility, and we spent a lot of time in the van back and forth together and at Wendy's, I believe, uh, every day uh, that week uh, together, uh, and uh, you know, John had indicated he was praying about our church plan, but uh, felt torn because he really, he really, church planning was in his heart, but he really believed it was, it was New England that God was calling him to, and to all of your blessing, uh, circumstantially, he didn't go on Crossway Church's plant so that he could be a part of King of Grace. And so I just I want you to know we join with you in your sorrow, but also in your joy, uh, that he is at complete peace and is now, although time is not kept in heaven as we know time, he has now been enjoying the presence of God in a way we all anticipate uh, for the past earthly month. Well, with that, would you look with me to Acts chapter 6 as we kind of, if you will, peer into the windows of the early church this morning. And I love these windows here, so if you would conjure up the imagery with me, we're, we're just going to imagine, if you will, on the other side of those windows, we're on the outside, but we're going to look into the early church in Jerusalem just to see a little bit of what was going on in the life of that early church, and specifically as it relates to the Holy Spirit, a prominent figure in the book of Acts. 
And specifically, not only the Holy Spirit, but specifically how the Holy Spirit was working in the hearts of the people in the early church in Jerusalem and what the lessons are for you and I here today. So would you read with me a a very familiar passage, but because it is the living Word of God, a passage that has something new for each of our hearts this morning. Let's read and pray together. Acts 6, 1-7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and pardon me if I mispronounce some of these, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Again, this morning we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the local church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to You again this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts for sending Your Son to make full payment for our sins so that we could actually now, as Colossians indicates, be counted as above reproach before You. Lord, how amazing that this morning in our standing before You, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are actually viewed by You as above reproach. No reproach could be, could be brought to us, could be laid at our feet, because Jesus, You have taken care of all our reproach, all our sin. And Father, additionally, You made a promise that when Jesus would ascend again to You, You would send a Helper who would not only be among us and around us and near us, but actually dwell in us the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank You for sending the Holy Spirit. And among the many, many things we know the Holy Spirit does, a primary one is to make us more like You, Jesus. So to that end, we pray. Make us more like You, Jesus, through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, I remember vividly a one-week period in 1995, the last, or week before Christmas, you might say, of December 1995. I had met with my pastor, his name was Andy Farmer, to receive his counsel again about a girl, that that girl right over there pushing the stroller. I told him I thought it was the right time to ask Melissa for her hand in marriage. Being a wise, discerning guy, I actually got a job. And so I figured, okay, now that I can maybe provide for her, I could go ask her father for her hand in marriage. Before I did any of that, though, I wanted to know what Andy thought as my pastor. He had been discipling me at that point for three years. He knew me. He knew Melissa to some degree as well. 
He was so full of faith and enthusiasm for us. I left his office with my head in warp speed planning mode about how to lay all this out. That was on December 17th. Well, as I'm making my plans, I called him again with a few more questions on the 18th. Then I called him again on the 20th, asking him one last time with reservations now in place, with a plan in place. I wanted to know one last time, Andy, are there any, any unspoken concerns or questions you have? And his final words to me were, don't call me again until you're engaged. (laughs) So, I'd apparently been bothering him and so... I didn't call him again. Well, off to the Wycombe Inn in Lower Bucks County, we went. We left the restaurant engaged to be married. Now, at that point, there were two Sundays remaining in the calendar year. And we had noticed over the years that it was very common at Covenant Fellowship for engagements to get announced. That couple would be asked to stand and the church would congratulate this couple and uh, the Bride-to-be would be given a bouquet of flowers. Well, the way the Sundays worked that year, Christmas Eve was a Sunday, and thus New Year's Eve was a Sunday as well. We got engaged on Friday night, December 22nd. So the moment came, I was oblivious to, I think, pretty much everything that morning at church, just thinking about when our engagement would be announced. So the announcements went on, and then Melissa and I were asked to stand with everybody else because the children were getting released to children's ministry. In other words, the service went by, the announcements went by, there was no announcement of our engagement. Initially, a little concerned about that. It occurred to me, well, wait a minute. It it is Christmas Eve morning. This is the weekend where we celebrate the birth of Christ. So perhaps that takes on greater importance than our engagement. They will probably do it next week. And actually, I was pretty content and even somewhat impressed with my exercise of charity towards the pastoral team for not announcing our engagement. Well, the next Sunday came. Now it's New Year's Eve. This is the day. There's no Savior of the World birthdays being celebrated on this day. Surely, this is the day. The service began. The announcements began. The moment arrived for Melissa and I to stand. And again, everybody else was standing as the children were released for children's ministry. Another Sunday went by without our engagement getting announced. Well, 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 charity was no longer my first response in my heart. Questions were racing through my mind. Why were we overlooked? Why were we forgotten? Why, why was that other couple announced the week before Christmas and we weren't for two weeks in a row? And then I began to get worried is this maybe a sign from God? Maybe Andy didn't express concerns, but God has concerns. God is saying something in this. How, how would I respond? How would I interpret that perceived offense? How would I talk about it? Well, I think that kind of illustration in my own life didn't involve bread, which is what Acts 6 involved, but it's the same kind of moment in my life where, where something has happened, or in my case, didn't happen, that I thought should happen, and it involved people in the church, particularly involved leaders in the church, and now, if you will, I've got a response that's going to flow from my heart. And so, I've got a perceived offense. And that's what we've got here in Acts 6. An offense, at least a perceived one, that's taking place in the life of this young church, and it's a moment that is ripe 
for a powerful display of the work of the Holy Spirit in these believers or for something else. That's what we want to look at this morning. Not too long ago, we were in a series at Grace Community Church on the Spirit-filled life. And we looked at, at, at the full work of the Holy Spirit, which we are not doing for our purposes this morning. Uh, but Acts 6, 1-7 through 7 is a display of a primary work, among many primary works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers. And that is, that is what's before us. Particularly, how the Holy Spirit unites hearts together in a local church. How, how the Holy Spirit's sanctifying or changing us work helps us in moments like bread distribution or in my case, when your engagement doesn't get announced. One commentator, R. Ken Hughes, he said, Act 6 shows us Satan trying to disrupt the inward peace of the early church. Wonderful things were happening as the new church grew by leaps and bounds. And think about some of those wonderful things. 3,000 people received Christ at Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2. Another 2,000 were added shortly thereafter in Acts chapter 4. Acts 5 tells us many more were added to the church. And then Arkan Hughes goes on, Satan, unhappy about God's successes, sowed a spirit of murmuring and gossip among God's people, hoping, hoping to set believer against believer. And the early chapters of Acts show us a primary way we experience as believers the power and indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and particularly in relationship with one another. And there are significant implications we find in Acts 6 that show us what a Spirit-filled community will look like. And, and personally, a passion of my heart for myself and for our church is to see what we see in Acts 6 as powerful as any other work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think power and Holy Spirit, we can, we can well, not knowing you, you may be thinking all kinds of things. Some of us get worried. Some of us get fearful. Some of us want to leave. Some of us maybe have, have thought, well, that, that is what the Holy Spirit's doing, these powerful displays. Well, for myself, for our church, my hope is that we see what's happening in Acts 6 as, as powerful, if you will, as anything we're reading in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and 14, and other passages of Scripture that show us the fullness of the Spirit's work. Because amazing things take place in Acts 6 that can only take place because the Holy Spirit's indwelling the hearts of the people of the church we read about in Acts 6. See, I think it's safe to say the ultimate goal of life is to know and love God. Amen? That is our goal. That's accomplished through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. I cannot know God, I cannot love God as God would be known and loved without the Holy Spirit indwelling me. And part of knowing and loving God is knowing and loving God's people. In fact, that's the litmus test in Scripture. You love me? Love one another. A new command I give you. Love one another. Anyone who says he loves God but hates his brother cannot love God. So in other words, God says, you want to know how you love me, how do you love each other? Well, that's, that's, that's what Satan knows too. I think R. Ken Hughes is right. He's looking for an opportunity. If I, can, if I could get them at each other, then I'll get their eyes off of their God. That's his hope. Anyway. Well, 
this knowing and loving we know is a process. And that is why we've been given the Holy Spirit. He fosters in our hearts this adoration for Christ so that increasingly we become like Him. And as we become like Him, how we are helped in the Acts 6 moments of our life, which we all have. We're being transformed, according to 2 Corinthians 3, from one degree of glory to another into the image of Christ. Well, how is that transformation happening? How is that change taking place? The Holy Spirit. So, with all that Holy Spirit background in view, let's just look more closely at what's happening as we peer into the windows of this early church dilemma and potential crisis. And I I believe we see several things. I want to look at three with you this morning. Let me just state them up front. The work of the Holy Spirit, number one, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is an ongoing work. Secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit is vividly demonstrated in our response to everyday challenges. And thirdly, where the work of the Holy Spirit is abundant, the local church thrives. I'll restate each of those as we come. The first one, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is an ongoing work. If you're at all familiar with the book of Acts, consider with me what we know about the Jerusalem church up to Acts 6 from the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 42-47, we read that the believers were devoted to one another. They were consistently fellowshipping together. They were selling their possessions, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were going to church together, and then after they were going to church together, they were devoted to having people in their homes, practicing hospitality together. Then in Acts 4, 32-37, we read the full number of those who believed was of one heart's and soul. Now, now just consider that with me. The full number, at this point, several thousand, were of one heart and soul. Now, we've been on vacation together as a family. I believe we've had a wonderful time for the most part. But just, just think about your family unit. Parents, how hard is it to get just your household of one heart and soul consistently? It's very difficult. And I mean during the waking hours, not when you're asleep. When you're awake. That's very hard. Did you catch what the Spirit was doing in the early church as, as He filled up the hearts of God's people? They were of one heart and soul. That, if that is not a powerful display of the Holy Spirit's activity, then I don't know what is. To get everybody moving in the same direction, that's amazing. To get that in a church of a hundred would be miraculous. To get it in a church of several thousand. That's what they had. That's what they were enjoying. The full number was of one heart. What did that mean? It meant a lot of things. There was no sense of an in crowd and an out crowd. No peripheral people. There were no partially devoted. There was was no consumer mentality. Hey, I'm here just to get, not to give. No, they were of one heart. They were all selling and all giving and all distributing. And all, all, all together. No side conversations of suspicion. No gossip or murmuring among them. No no harboring of offenses. It would seem as though their hearts didn't have room for any of that because they were so full of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't yet, in Acts 6, up to this point, there wasn't yet a need to urge them to be devoted to one another because they were. There, There was no need to talk of give generously because they were. They were doing all these things. But then Acts 6.1, kind of like you turn your Bible over to Acts 6 and you kind of get that 
oh no, oh no moment. This was just too good to be true. We were uh, in Maine for our vacation with my family, and as you well know, probably living here as well, like the entire month of June rained. <laughs> I think the whole month just rained. And I heard a lot of oh no's each time this sun would come out. Like, oh no, this means rain is coming kind of a thing. Well, well there's an oh no moment going on here in Acts 6. What is the oh no moment? It's verse 1. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, if you just kind of read from Acts 1 through Acts 5, Acts 6 1 would, would seem out of place like, oh, no, no, this must be an error. This is in the wrong book. Not, not the early church in Jerusalem. They didn't have complaints there. No, no, see, we read, they are fully devoted. They were of one heart. And my, maybe this belongs in the Corinthian church or the Philippian church or, or the Galatian church, but not here. No, this is the right place. It's the right place. Even though all that we've seen so far in the book of Acts is this amazing unity. Now, before we get to what happened, do you know, you know why I find Acts 6-1 so refreshing as a pastor, just as a Christian, in a local church in Pennsylvania, here's what I find so refreshing about it. Acts 6-1 shows that for as amazing and powerful was the activity of the Holy Spirit in the early church, it was still what it is. And that is, it was a real church. Meaning it had real people who still had areas in their lives where real change needed to occur. In other words, it, wasn't, it was an amazing church, but it was not a perfect church. The early church in Jerusalem, with 12 apostles in it, was not a perfect church. It was not without its problems. In fact, they had complaining there. They had neglect, at least perceived, there. Think about that. In a church led by 12 apostles, all who'd been either around the Lord or the one added, at least, at least in the presence of the Lord when He was doing His earthly ministry, even there, you don't have a perfect church. I mean, you would think, right? If you're going to have, if you're going to have a church for your problems, you, you, you want it to be with the twelve apostles. No. The church in Jerusalem encountered the same dynamics we can today. And it's this, that the Holy Spirit's work has begun, but is not done. It's an ongoing work the Spirit of God is doing in us. The work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the saints in Jerusalem was not yet complete and indeed wouldn't reach full completion at any point in their lives because our growth is onward and upward until our dying breath. Now, I don't know what Satan knew about that, but this is his attempt. Let's see what we can do to create dissension. And so, the unity, the devotion, everything they've been enjoying is being tested here in Acts 6.1. Now, we're not given much by way of detail about whether this sense of neglect was completely accurate or it was... Just an accusation, a perception, but as far as the Hellenists were concerned, they were definitely being neglected. We know from Acts 2 and 4 they didn't always feel that way because there was unity. And where you have unity, you don't have neglect. But in Acts 6 1, they're feeling neglect. We do know some of the pre existing conditions that maybe had something to do with the complaint. The Hellenists were Greek speaking Jewish Christians, and the Hebrews were native or Palestinian 
Jewish Christians who spoke Aramaic, and they far outnumbered the Hellenists. So what you've got in the early church is a majority of people speaking Aramaic, and then you've got this smaller segment of Greek-speaking Christians, but they're together. They're united. And that, that alone is powerful, if time permitted, to just go into their ability to get together. Well, many of those Hellenist Jews had come from faraway places and now resided in Jerusalem. And we don't know for sure, but it's plausible to think that because they were foreign speaking and, and not as connected to Jerusalem historically, not as connected to the temple, that it's possible that this neglect occurred because it was likely that the bread distribution was taking place from the temple. Remember, this is before serious big-time persecution breaks out. This is before uh, they've had to totally get separate from the temple. It's likely that's where it was taking place. We don't know what happened, but it's not hard to imagine. So imagine with me. You go to the bread line. You're a Hellenist. And ahead of you is a Hebrew Christian. And prior to this day, you've never really noticed this, but you, you just happen to catch out of the corner of your eye because the two loaves were side by side. That the Hebrew brother ahead of you seemed to get a loaf of bread that was just a little bit longer than the Hellenist brother who came right after him. Now you've got your eyes open and you're paying attention. And you think you're seeing a pattern develop in here. Not only that, one of those Hebrew brothers actually took a second loaf. Now, again, I don't know that that's what happened, but we all know how our own hearts work, don't we? Perceptions are powerful. Sometimes we think they're real. It's quite plausible the loaves of bread were of different size then. I mean, I don't know what kind of automatic slicers they had going on then. You know, I don't know that the yeast always made it all the same shape and size and contour. You know, pretty good bet if you pick up a loaf of Stroman and I pick up a loaf of Stroman, we're going to get the same thing today. But apparently, a Hellenist perceived they weren't getting what the Hebrew believers were getting. The complaint here in Acts 6, it's another word for murmur. That's how some translations read it. And what was happening here was not someone coming with a question or a concern or an idea, because let's be clear about something, although it's not the primary point here in Acts 6. Whoever, whoever the leaders were in charge of distributing the bread, they don't see everything. They don't do everything right. Leaders need a humility that makes it easy and welcoming for a person to come and ask them questions to raise concerns. That, that's without question. The, the point here in Acts 6 is not that a complaint should never be voiced. Rather, it's how it happened. The murmur rose up in the heart. No questions are asked. It's straight to accusation. I see something. That's it. Accusation. Nobody asked the leaders what was happening. It just took place. And that's a right moment. That accusing moment. That complaining moment is a moment where the very unity the Spirit's been building gets put to the test. Now, think about this with me. I think generally speaking, we can sum up Satan's attack schemes in three primary ways. Persecution or pollution or dissension. At least that's what we see going on in the early life of the church in Acts. Anytime the church is growing and thriving, I don't think Satan is content to sit back and just watch it grow. Not at all. Well, Early on, some first waves of persecution break out against the church in Jerusalem. And you recall some of the responses when they're told, you're no longer permitted to speak in this name. What do they say? You know what? Whether or not it's right, uh, that's for you to decide. But as for us, we cannot help but speak 
of the name of our God. In other words, when persecution broke out, the church actually grew. So, maybe Satan moves on to next attack scheme, Acts 5. Let's, let's pollute the church with some, some big sin issue. Let's bring the church down with, with, the, with the revelation of, of a scandal. Well, Ananias and Sapphira. The land you sold, how much did you sell it for? This much. Really? You brought the whole amount? Yes. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And then his wife came in and said the same. But what happened? Great fear or a reverent fear of God fell upon the church. And what happened? It grew. So Satan's tried persecution. Result, church grows. Satan's tried pollution within the members. What happens? Church grows. So let's try something that seems so mundane. Let's just get some eyes looking at that bread a little more closely tomorrow in the temple distribution. And now you've got a complaint. It's ripe with potential. Ripe with potential to bring down the work of the Spirit, all the unity, all that goes on. Think about this. For all the grace they received, for all the grace you and I as believers have received, for all the work and activity of the Holy Spirit we've received, have you not found in your own life we still need more? That's what they were finding in this moment. And that's not a cause for hopelessness or a sense of, oh, am I ever going to be different? No, rather, that's a cause for hope that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to do a work in us. I need the bread line moments to help me to see how far I've come. And yet how far God wants me to go. That's a good thing. We never fully arrive until we arrive at His feet. Now, I don't know, it's probably not bread, but perhaps you can think of something from your own life where you can relate to the Hellenist Christians who were tempted as they saw the bread distribution and it led to murmuring and complaining against their Hebrew brothers and sisters. Just think in your own life. Among God's people, have you ever felt slighted? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it was definitely real, but have you ever felt it? Have you ever felt slighted? Have you ever felt overlooked? You ever wonder, you know, that birthday party that I didn't get invited to? Why was that? Did you ever have your engagement not announced? <laughs> maybe, maybe you had a baby and you thought, you know, huh, that's interesting. I, I sent a photo. I sent a photo of our baby. It, it didn't make the screen. Why, why did so-and-so's baby like make, make the screen? Why did that happen? What is the statement being made about our family? Have you ever felt that temptation? It, it doesn't take much, does it? And my goodness, how far we can go with that perception. I mean, we can have a whole book written in a millisecond without ever asking a question of anyone. I think all of us have had those moments where in some way we've felt overlooked, neglected, unrecognized in the church, either by a pastor or another person. The question ultimately though is, when those moments come, when that temptation comes, how do you respond? How do I respond? What do we do? What do we say? What would I say after two Sundays in a row of our engagement not getting announced when other people's engagement was getting announced? That's a critical moment because that, that moment reveals the activity of the Spirit 
in my life and, and how I'm either walking in cooperation with that work or potentially, if I'm not careful, quenching that work. Uh, we have two churches not far from us uh, with very creative original names. One is called East Swamp Church and guess what the other one's called? West Swamp. Have you, you must have been there. <laughs> well, curious. They are literally across the street from one another. Curious as to why that is, I inquired. Here is the history of East and West Swamp Church. One day, a member of Swamp Church, when they were one, decided he wanted to bless the church, particularly the men of the church, by building and installing a hat rack in the vestibule of the church. Rain and winter, etc., these wool hats would come in and be placed on the pews and things and mess with the stain and the varnish. So he just took it upon himself to design a hat rack so that as guys came in with their wet hats or dry, whatever, they could hang them on these hat racks. Sounds simple enough. Well, that Sunday arrived. You know, the first Sunday when the hat rack was there. Come to find out, some in the church didn't want a hat rack hanging in the vestibule. And were insulted to find out that this thing was just put in without a vote, without any consultation, without anything. I know it's funny, but it's sad because it's true. Today, one of the churches has a hat rack and one does not. This is true. You probably don't have to drive all the way to where I live to find that kind of story. They're probably in Haverhill. Maybe not hat racks. Maybe something else. Those are the moments. We've got to look deep. God, what do you want to do in my heart right now? Because it's not, I don't think, going to be the big persecution moments or the big pollution moments so much where Satan's going to get his successes. It's in these mundane moments. If we're not attentive to where God through the Holy Spirit wants to take us in that moment. Can I ask a question before I reach that conclusion? And matters like that. Because, second point, the work of the Holy Spirit is most vis- visibly or vividly, if you will, demonstrated in our response to everyday challenges. When everybody's given and everybody's taking care of everybody else and nobody has need, that's beautiful, right? I don't know how how many of you have taken a summer family vacation so far or plan to. When everybody's having a good day and it's sunny, that's easy, right? What about when it's not? I mean, that's really where your love gets revealed. That's where our... It's easy for me to be patient by myself most of the time. it's, It's simple, alone. We think. We're not made to be alone. We're not made to do life alone. We don't experience the Holy Spirit so much alone as we do together. Well, together means challenges. At some point, something's going to come up, right? It's amazing how many honeymoon stories come back and you just, you don't want to tell them before they go, but you just know it's going to happen, right? You know, something's going to come up on their honeymoon where they're like, that couple is, is just, they're just wondering, like, did we really make the right decision? Because this is ugly. 
It happens for all of us. And in those moments, that's where the work of the Holy Spirit can be revealed as so powerful. Now, look back at the text. Verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number. So verse 1, the complaints come. The twelve summoned the full number and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. So, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In other words, do you see verses 2 and 3? That's the response. That's the response of the apostles. Now, before we just gloss right over that, let's consider some alternative responses. What if verse 2 read differently? What if verse 2 read more like, are you kidding me? Imagine Peter. And this isn't hard to imagine if you remember Peter from the Gospels. Imagine Peter. How do you know they got a bigger loaf of bread? Were you measuring that bread? Were you weighing that bread? What were you doing? Are you kidding me? Are you joking? You mean to tell me as people are getting healed, as people are getting saved by the thousands, as even priests are coming to the faith, are you telling me you're bringing bread to my table right now? Is that what you're wanting to talk to me about? With all that I've got on my shoulders, bread. Somebody got a bigger loaf than you? Take two tomorrow and get out of here. That's not hard to imagine if you just think back to Peter. You've actually been counting the bread? Maybe he could have even gone spiritual on them. The bread's become more important to you than the Gospel? What, what do you expect me to do? Would you like me to stand there and weigh and measure and shape and make sure? Is that what you want me to do? Is that what I should do? Let me go do that. Forget preaching. Forget praying. Let me go do that. Is that what you want? Is that what you want me to do with my time? Now, again, that's not far-fetched. Or maybe Peter wouldn't have voiced all that, but he surely may have been tempted to think that. Anytime people grow in number, eventually problems come. They may look different in different places, but the reality is the same everywhere. At some point, for all of us, the honeymoon ends and the marriage has got to begin. But that's the moment actually that's so glorious because we get to see how far we've come and yet how far. God wants us to go. What do I see? What do I believe we see together here in Acts 2 and 3? We see the twelve full of the Spirit. Complaint has come, but their response. Listen, we believe what God would give our, call us to give our main attention to is to preaching and praying. And they risk some serious approval ratings. Like, oh goodness, Peter, don't mess with the widows. Don't. Whatever you do, take care of them. Well, that's in his heart. But maybe not in the way they thought. You choose. You follow that? The very ones bringing the complaint. He said to them, you choose. Choose seven. Full of the Spirit. Full of wisdom. Of good repute. You choose them. And let's ensure that they serve in this ministry so that no one's neglected. That is a Spirit-filled and God-glorifying response to a complaint. See, those moments, the mundane moments, the breadline moments, they arise 
But when they arise, we really get the most accurate diagnosis of the progress we've made in that being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And the road by God's grace, He still calls us to travel. I think about this in my own life. Uh, went to local post office to get a passport for my son Bennett who was going to come with me to visit the Toronto church. And I wanted to take him there because we were on a quest to get to every NHL hockey arena before he graduates college because he and I love hockey. So Toronto was on our list. And I called, got the information, set up the appointment, was told what time to be there. I went, got to the counter, can I help you? said, yes, I'm, I'm here for my passport appointment with my son. And the lady responded with what I perceived, and I may have been wrong, I likely was. She responded with this, this smuggy, smudgy, whatever the word is, smirk of, <laughs> you don't have an appointment here. Now, you need a little background on me. Uh, when someone looks at me and I perceive what they're saying is, you're an idiot, I get offended. I, I like to think that I know my schedule and the phone calls I've made and where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and and, and this, this look just conveyed this, you have no clue what's going on in your life, do you? You don't have an appointment. Like There was no remote possibility that she could be mistaken. There was no remote possibility that uh, somebody else took the call and, and she was just unaware of it. She just made this response and I was hooked in my pride, in my self-exaltation. And I walked out of there because it turns out it, it was the wrong one. I had been, the call was made by someone else, not my wife, uh, but by someone else and they told me this was the one to go to so I, I went. I walked out of there and immediately grieved with the pride in my heart that her response that I had to assign some motive to that I couldn't have known because I didn't ask her any questions, but that her response tempted me in such a way that so much pride, impatience, arrogance, all this under my breath, but, but, but things in my heart that, that were all there. And it was grievous. And momentarily, I'm standing by my car. My kids had overheard me. I asked for their forgiveness. I just stood there. Momentarily, it felt almost paralyzed with this thought, like, am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to be able to have somebody say something to me and just respond with charity? In my heart, because, again, you need to know a little more about me. Like A lot of times, maybe I'm like you or you're like me in this way, I'm staring at this postal worker. On the outside, I'm not saying anything, but oh, inside, I'm going postal. <laughs> but I'm smiling. But it's all there. It's a loaded gun. I've got so many responses. Like, I want to play the game with her. Like, oh, you, you think you're quick with your... You don't have an appointment here. Let's play. 
that, that's, that's sinful me. And by God's grace, grieved over that in the parking lot. But then this, I believe, spirit-filled, illuminating moment came in the parking lot. Aaron, in those moments, the conviction comes so much quicker to you than it used to. You're changing. Listen, don't be discouraged if you find you still get offended with someone in the church or at the post office. I'd love to say to you that'll never happen again, but it probably will. But is conviction coming sooner? Is the desire for charity coming sooner? Is the desire to ask a question before reaching a conclusion coming sooner? Even if in that moment it didn't. Is something getting birthed in you? Oh, friend, that's worth celebrating. Because the Holy Spirit's changing you. And He just used that mundane moment the bread moment to show you how far you've come and yeah, by His grace, how much further He wants you to go. I think of that post office moment for me and I think back to a number of years ago in an airport with my wife where I was a good solid half hour in my murmuring in my heart before any conviction set in. By God's grace, the conviction was in minutes. It was mundane. It was a simple moment. But I think those are the moments Satan loves to throw our way and challenge us. But those are the glorious moments as well, or they can be the glorious moments where we see the Holy Spirit's brought us further. See, it's in the challenges. It's in those little challenges. That's where we discover the depth of our devotion to one another, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Make us more and more devoted to one another. So, Maybe you can think of a recent illustration, if not in the church, maybe at work, in the grocery store, the person who took your parking spot, etc. Maybe you were aware that, you know what, sin rose up in my heart, but, but, but pay attention. Is the conviction coming sooner? Is the desire to respond differently rising more quickly? If so, celebrate that. God's at work in you. If the desire is, Lord... I don't want to think that way about that person at church or even my pastor. I know If they didn't put the picture of my newborn up, I, what do I know? I know. I know that Paul wasn't in his office thinking, ha, they think their baby's photo's going up this week. Oh no. I'm going to make them wait, wait, wait. I'm pretty certain he's never done that. So often, oh, so often, one question can determine the difference between the Spirit having His way or us potentially momentarily quenching His work. Things will happen. We'll be overlooked. The photo might be forgotten. But those can be glorious moments. And the more of those glorious moments we have, like in Acts 6, the last thing happens. Where the work of the Holy Spirit is abundant, the church thrives. This final point needs very little elaboration. Verses 5-7. through seven. What they said, the apostles, what they said, verse 5, pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and the names go on. These they set before the apostles. They prayed, laid their hands on them. This final point is, is so vivid. Notice a couple of things with me. Does, does the list of names, verse 6, does the list of names in any way look peculiar to you? I believe they're all Greek. They're all Greek. Think about that with me. Think of that unity. Now, now put yourself in the place of a Hebrew Christian. Imagine the potential response given our own hearts. Hey! Whoa! Think of it this way. A New England town and there's going to be a restoration committee and they need seven to be on the committee. And you get the list of names of the seven on the committee and you find out all of them only moved into your town six months ago from somewhere else or as they say in Maine, from away. They're not from here. Imagine the potential. How is it that seven people who grew up in Maryland are going to tell us in Haverhill, Mass, how we're going to restore the town? Shouldn't it be Haverhill people? It doesn't happen. None of the Hebrews rise up, whoa, 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 time out. Of seven, proportionally in this town, it's six to one. We're willing to bend and make it five to two here, but seven Greeks on the committee for bread distribution? We don't think so. No, that doesn't happen. They were all pleased. Why? Right back to the beginning. Because they were devoted to one another. There is no Jew or Greek at the bread line because they were one in Christ. Devotion. Unity. The Hebrew Christians don't respond feeling neglected. Whoa, this is... The, the, the apostles don't gather in the back room and say, you know what? <laughs> that was an unwise leadership move. We just asked the Greeks to choose and they did and they chose seven of their own. We're going to have to redo this. We're going to have to make this more equitable. At least four to three. Or make it three to three and we'll come up with someone from out of town to be the deciding vote. No, they don't need to do any of that. Because the Spirit's activity is abundant in their hearts. The unity was threatened, but it was met with a Spirit-filled moment. Well, I went back to my pastor after that second Sunday and I ripped into him. No, I didn't. <laughs> By God's grace... I knew Andy. In fact, I can't wait. Actually, next Sunday is the first Sunday in our nearly 10 years as a local church that I'm going to actually be there when he's preaching in our church. I'll get to relive this with him. I know Andy. I knew Andy's love for me. I knew Andy's love for Melissa. He had made so abundantly clear his enthusiasm and faith. I know something else about Andy. Andy's a wonderful guy. He counsels a lot of people. At least he was in 1995. Church of 750 people at the time. It's common that more than one couple got engaged in a recent span of time. So I went to him. And I just asked him, will our engagement be announced? He looked at me. His head dropped. He put his hands on my shoulders. And with remorse, he looked up and said, I am so So it didn't make the, the announcements. 
Was there some grand scheme? We're going to put Aaron and Melissa through the ringer here. We're going to test them. Was there some plot? No. It was just a human being, a pastor, who forgot. And when he discovered what he forgot, he felt horrible about it. Now I thank God for the grace that led me to ask Him and not make an accusation. But I also thank God for the grace that helped me to see, you know what though, Aaron? You really let your heart go. You really let it go. You had all kinds of ideas and thoughts that were far, far, far from true. Let the Spirit of God reel them in, if you will. I can't imagine, I cannot imagine what my life would be like today had I harbored that, turned it into an offense, become bitter. I cannot imagine. Well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be standing here. We'd probably be on our fifth or sixth or more churches by now. Because all you've got to do is stick around. Paul, I'm sorry. This probably isn't the most flattering way to talk to the guests. Guests, if you keep coming back to King of Grace enough times, something will probably happen. But keep coming. Because on the other side of it, I think you'll see something glorious. The same thing we see in Acts 6. Unity and devotion. And what happens when that takes place? It's right there in verse 7. The Word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly. And even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, authentic, Spirit-filled Christianity in our world today is as attractive as it was in the early church in Jerusalem. Closing, I encourage you. I think this all exists in King of Grace Church, but I encourage you, some point today, give thanks to God for the unity you enjoy together as the people of God here at King of Grace Church. You have unity not because you all have the same likes. You don't all eat the same foods. You don't all enjoy the exact same things. Your unity isn't based on that. Your unity is based on the forgiveness of all our sins. It's based on Jesus Christ who brings together people from all tribes and tongues and nations to do life together. To be a picture of our future forever. Of the people of God. Give thanks for that unity. But also, ask God for the grace for the next mundane moment that comes to go with the Spirit. Go with charity. Go with the desire to ask a question before reaching a conclusion. Positively speaking, overlook a lot. Think the best as much as as possible. Exercise the fruit of self-control when the bread distribution moment comes. And where necessary, Confess and repent and experience God's grace. May God only make His Spirit's work more and more evident here of King of Grace as you give yourselves fully to devotion to one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for King of Grace Church. Specifically this morning, Lord, thank You for the name of the church, King of Grace. That's who you are. 
And that is the Spirit's work in us, among other works, to help us become more like the King of Grace, that we could be great givers of grace even as we've been great recipients of grace. Lord, help us to see that while we might stand strong under persecution, while we might even as a church survive a scandal that might defame our name to some degree and yet we could come out of it still together, help us to see that sometimes it's the most trivial and mundane things that can turn our hearts away from one another and outward. Help us, Lord, to not go down the perception road, but instead seek as quickly as possible to establish what is true and what is lovely, what is patient. Holy Spirit, would Your fruit abound in our midst. Lord, I pray as well, were there to be any this morning aware that, you know, I think I've been harboring an offense. I've, I've allowed bitterness to get a root in my heart in this regard towards this person when in reality I don't even know all the facts. I only thought I did. The matter seemed right to me, but it seemed right because I didn't ask any questions. Oh God, where that would be present, first I pray you'd encourage that heart That's evidence of your work. And then give them the grace to respond, O God. And Lord, most of all, would the unity and devotion that King of Grace enjoys together be a beacon of light that goes out from this place and reaches more and more hearts in Haverhill and beyond. We pray for your glory and for the spread of your fame. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just lots, lots to learn there, lots to walk in this week. I just want to dismiss you and bless you guys as we go. May the Lord bless you. May He fill you with His Spirit. May you be quick to forgive, quick to love. May you walk in great unity for His glory. God bless. You're dismissed. And if anyone would like prayer, I'm sure there's some things in there that...